0: This is The Sports Rivals. And with the basketball season, once again, upon us, a chance to look into our archives and talk about rivalries and college basketball in particular. We are brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? A reminder, don't forget our sponsor, AG. Head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. And today, it's about basketball. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sports Rivals. I'm Gary Thorne. A delight to have you with us. Our purpose here is to preserve memories of classic sports rivalries through the words of those who participated in them. These are the rivalries that are described from the inside out. We should mention, I think today, uh, we have Gary Williams, College Basketball Hall of Fame coach, Seth Greenberg, 34 years in the business of college coaching and a number of those years where he went up against Gary Williams. Should mention that we are doing this uh, during the virus season, and we really appreciate these two great coaches coming on to join us. Just for purposes of the record, it is March 30. 2020, obviously not an easy time for anybody, uh, not for them, but they've taken time to do this, and we hope this can add a little bit of a smile and some good times when uh, things obviously are not where we would all want them to be. Gary Williams is a Hall of Fame uh, college coach. He won the NCAA championship coaching in Maryland in 2002. He was there at his alma mater, Maryland, for 22 years between 1989-2011 in an ACC conference that was has always been and certainly was then a very tough conference. Seth Greenberg coached against him, and Seth was at Virginia Tech. That was 2003 through 2012. As I said, Seth involved in college coaching for some 34 years. So when you look at that, they were rivals in the ACC in the years 2003 2011, and gentlemen, as best we can tell, we went back and tried to figure out how you did against each other. Believe it or not, not an easy thing to do because you got to go through uh, all of the guides, press guides. It looks like you played 500 against each other, went 5-5, five and five. but the notable thing was the games between Maryland and Virginia Tech during those years filled with very tight ball games. There were overtime games. There was a double overtime game that we're going to be talking about, so let's get to it and let people hear from Gary Williams, Seth Greenberg. Seth, I'm going to start with you by asking, when you're coaching against an opposing team, obviously you're looking at what the opposing team is, who, what the makeup of the players are, but you're also looking at the coach who's sitting on that other bench. When you were at Virginia Tech coaching against Maryland and Gary Williams, what were your thoughts going into games about the coach you were facing?
1: I thought I was in trouble. I mean, you're talking about a Hall of Fame coach, you're talking about a guy that won a national championship. I came at a good time because I was after the Final Four in the national championship team. So I got kind of a bump there as we came into the ACC. But but when you were playing against Gary's team and when when I got into the league, one of the things I tried to do with Virginia Tech is our goal was to be the hardest playing toughest team. We weren't going to get the guys Duke got, North Carolina got, and other teams got. But what I thought we could control was how hard we played. And I looked at actually the blueprint that Gary used at Maryland to build their program, evaluate up, get your guys to play hard, get your guys to compete defensively, try to steal some possessions. But before we get into that, I have to admit, Gary, that like when we came into the ACC, uh, no one wanted us in the league. I and mean, we were Virginia Tech. We were the worst team in the Big East. Uh, we fit the geographic footprint. Uh, in terms of the rest of the league, we weren't like Boston College or Syracuse or Louisville. I mean, we fit right there. You know, when we came into the league, you, Mike, Roy, whomever, they said, oh, Virginia Tech, they're absolutely going to kill the league because they suck at basketball. It's yeah. a football decision. <laughs> and, you know, what's going to happen is it's going to do value in the league. And then we came in and we won some freaking games. Yeah, that, you know what? Everyone said we killed the
2: league. I know. You, you didn't help us by winning some games. That was for sure. <laughs> you, you won a lot of games. And the thing was, you won a Duke, which, you know, I think coaches coached in the ACC and never won a Duke in, in, in their whole career. So, uh, I know when I got the job in 89 in Maryland, uh, you, you know, we were going through some tough times there at Maryland and, um uh, it, it was the thing where you, 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 really got tired of people on your campus. And you, I don't know if you got this, uh, Seth too, people said, you know, you want to try to have a program like Duke in North Carolina. <laughs> so every time we played those guys, I remember it was usually some faculty guy. You know, he had the leather patches on his uh, blazer and all, all that stuff, you know, and he'd be smoking his pipe at some faculty uh, thing you had to go to and, uh, that's all you heard. So that, that was that was my goal, you know, just get get to where we could be competitive against Carolina and Maryland. And, you know, they, then we we finally got to the Final Four in 2001, and now we're really good going into 2002. That's the year we won the championship. And I remember getting the preseason rankings, and we were still below Carolina and Duke. You know, it was like, that's the way it is in the ACC. You had to fight everything in terms of, how the media perceives you, how referees uh, perceive your program, uh, your fans—you know—a a lot of fans, you know, figured, well, you can never be as good as Duke or North Carolina. So, all that went into coaching, and, and I think Seth, you saw that when you came into the ACC, just how people felt, you know, about those two programs, and certainly, uh, Duke and Carolina have been two of the top five programs, say, for the last, you know, forty years in college basketball.
1: Yeah, you know, the funny thing is that you know, we used all that motivation, you know, like I, I cut out every single article that had either you or Mike or or uh, Roy or you know, anyone else in the league basically killing us. And all I would I would legitimately go, you know, we'd be getting ready to play you guys or we duke or I go and these son of a bitches didn't want us in
2: the league. Screw them, we're going to kick them. Ass. <laughs> <laughs> you got whatever it takes, you know. There's nothing. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it was just the, the ACC. And, uh, you know, I go back to the 60s with the ACC. I played around. I wasn't any good, but you didn't have to be good back that. you know, you didn't have to be that good back then to play. And uh, it was the same way. Duke had. Uh, you know, uh, Vic Bubas was way ahead of his time in terms of the business side of uh, college basketball. And one year we go down there to play I, I, on, on Maryland. Bud Lincoln was our coach. And Frank Fellows was a good guy. He was an assistant coach, but he had to teach three PE courses. Uh, and he was the only assistant. We go down there and we're waiting to get on the court to practice the day before. Out comes the Duke staff and it's Vic Bubas and his two assistants were Chuck Daly and Hubie Brown. And I'm going like, what's this? You know, I mean, is this fair? You know, is this equal? How does that work? But back then, Maryland really thought of itself as a football school. And uh, they just wouldn't pump any money uh, into basketball uh, until really Lefty got there in uh, 1970.
1: How about I, you know, my first trip to Duke as a head coach, um, I was an assistant in Virginia that one year in 83. My first trip to Duke as a head coach. I lasted 38 minutes and 40 second, 41 seconds, to be exact. And then somehow, someway, Duke Etzel and I did not decide on uh, the same restaurant to eat after the game. And I got whacked. We lost by about 400 points. You ever get thrown out at uh, Cameron?
2: Yeah, I got thrown out once. Um, and we, we didn't win, though. I got, I, I, we won after I got thrown out. You know, The next couple of years, we were able to get a win down there. But uh, I got thrown out the first five minutes of the game. And, you know, their locker room. You know, one thing about Duke, yeah. they, they make a lot of money in their basketball program. They're visitor's locker room. It's got to be the worst still in the, in the it ACC. Was. You know, but anyway, so I go down there and I'm like, what do you do now? You got an hour and a half, you know, you're, you're thrown out of the game. They had this old AM radio down there. So I got the Duke broadcast of the game. And that's how I followed the game that night.
1: Hey, hey, I mean, it was, Hoosiers. About it was Hoosiers
2: you know it was just like the guy at Hoosiers <laughs> listening to the game if you got thrown out
1: hey when Gary says the, the locker room's bad it's like an old they turn into a faculty staff locker room where it's like rows of lockers so there's nowhere to where you can actually look at your team I know. because the benches are behind the rows of lockers I and mean, you're like in the middle standing by the shower but your rest of your staff <laughs> is in the shower so there's, there's no room for them to stand anywhere near and it's like this one mini it's one mini uh, board that you can make notes on. My, great, my greatest story in that, we're going to play them, actually, in the year, the year we beat them. And my brother Brad is giving the scatter report. I'm in the other end of the locker room because I couldn't stand by him. So I'd have to walk through the middle to, to, to actually speak to the team at the end. Everyone's like leaning out from behind these little corners. And he was going over Greg Paulus. And he's saying, you know, when Great Paul says this, Great Paul says that, and I still remember to this day, Jamon Gordon, who was a really, really good guard for us, just tough as nails, defense player of the year in the league, his senior year, he was really, really good. And he kind of raises his hand, and Jamon was a guy that was, obviously, never was afraid of anything. And he re- he grew up in one of the toughest blocks in all of Jacksonville. And he goes, Coach Greenberg. <laughs> so, he goes, <laughs> Jamon, he goes, he goes, Greg Paulus ain't worth a damn. If he had a JMU <laughs> on his jersey, we wouldn't even be talking about his sorry ass. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is funny how when a guy uh, put a Duke or Carolina jersey on the ACC, all of a sudden he got a lot better. You know, oh, it, oh, it's, it's interesting how that worked. I mean, and you, you saw it at the end of the year. You know, you, you, they'd have the raw conference teams. And things like that and you know it was it was a fight it was a fight to get your guys uh you know any recognition and before the expansion any expansion um you know we were the northernmost team we, we were like yeah. way out of there it was uh Clemson and South Carolina you know the four Carolina schools Virginia and us, and we were you know the northernmost team and then Georgia Tech came in and um you know Bobby really did a great job at Atlanta, you know, getting people excited down there about the ACC. How
1: about we, – we had some – you know, I really competed, look, I, you were a whole thing, Coach. I just tried to stay employed. But we had some classic matchups. I, I was, oh, yeah. when, when, when I was asked to do this, I started to think about, how about when, when the water main broke uh, on campus? Yeah. And that was supposed to be a national TV game, and we're sitting there. You had one of the greatest lines of all time. We just built – our practice facility so we had this great beautiful practice facility no blazers no nothing we had we had ten thousand people ten thousand people in the place the place was going bonkers it was some type of celebration so the officials called us together So we got this water main break i remember wim sanderson was calling the game he was scared to death because there were no bathrooms and he had to go to the bathroom in five minutes but that's another story he went outside (laughs) on the side of the building he told me right so we met we met with the officials and you had this great idea. Now I think what we should do is you got this great practice facility. We don't need people to be watching this game. We could just right. move over to the practice facility, yeah.
2: and we could just play the game over
1: there. How about my reaction? I say, you be
2: There's <laughs> you very on court. <laughs> yeah. I told I, I told our players. I, I remember that really. I think it was supposed to be a twelve o'clock game. We wound up playing like yeah. around five or something like that. Uh-huh. And so we're just sitting there, and, like, I told our players what happened about the truck hitting the uh, water main, which really happened, right? That's the way it happened. It I, told them. I told them it was a beer truck. Well, I was telling the truth then to our players. I told them it was a beer truck, and they did that because they, they were already planning to celebrate after the game. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, whatever. And like you said, like you said, Seth, whatever it takes. You know, you just tell your team, and, hey, they don't know. You know, they don't know, so you just tell them anything.
1: And that and, and that was that was a, that was a heck of a game. The, the other one that I remember that was, it was a good one was uh, the double overtime game where Bravis scored about a thousand against us. Oh, that was the game.
2: That that was it. Yeah, that was, the, that game. was yeah. the beer truck game. Yeah, that and, was the beer uh, truck game. We he had to do everything possible. That that guy Vasquez that year. We we won our last seven games to tie Duke, who won the national championship. That was two thousand ten. And we tied Duke for the regular season ACC thing. And Vasquez hit a running half hook going toward the corner right in front of our bench. It was like Kareem at Bull's Sky skyhook range. You know, it was like 18 feet. I looked down at Krzyzewski. And if he was standing close to me, I know he would have hit me. You know, because, like, I kind of smiled, you know, like, makes that all the time. Don't worry about it, Mike. You know, that's the way it goes. And, and like, it, it was incredible. Then I remember the game. You beat us at our place. I don't know what year that was. Throw up game. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, we're doing great.
2: Was it your guy or my guy that threw up? Oh my guy. Yeah, you had me. You made him throw up. That's that's why. Yeah. You You said that every time. How about that? Well, we were playing good, and then after the throw up, we couldn't play anymore. You know, it's like. But like, how about the referees? They wouldn't go near it. Did you say They they were like fifty feet away. It was like some kind of radioactive thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. in your mind. Like we had was a Lorenzo Hudson. I couldn't I couldn't find a janitor, you know, to clean it. <laughs> hey, hey,
1: hey, we played it. We, we that game was because like you you guys scored like the first ten points of the game. Yeah, and we finally Lorenzo Hudson drives and gets fouled. And uh, he steps to the free throw line, one dribble, two dribble, sets, sets the ball to shoot it, shoots it. And as he released it, he lost the pregame meal. All <laughs> over the place. It. it was just short of the rim, his pregame meal. I mean, it was disgusting. And uh, it, t- it didn't. It took forever to clean up. And all of a sudden, we come out of that. Dorenzo makes the second free-throw. He stays in the game because he felt better than he said. And we scored yeah. like the next like sixty to the next twenty points. I do oh, no. remember though, only and you know, only as you can, I do remember as we were walking off the court, he turned to me with pointing at me, go,
2: You made him do that. Okay, no.
1: like,
2: <laughs> that was uh, that was part of the game plan. You kidding me? Hey, if we get behind. Hey Lorenzo, if we get behind, you are going to throw up.
1: You know, <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> that was that was one of the that was one of the wild, that was one of the wildest. I thought, and then the other one at your place where you beat us by about four hundred was was right. It was your, your last year? It was probably of your next year last year? Because you actually went to the tournament this year with Neil and those guys. Yeah, that was, that was
2: a pretty good team that didn't look good. You know, was, we were ugly. was good. Yeah, we was we really could good. play. We could play. Really, and uh, again, that's, know, that's guys, has, Got was, it. You know, Vasquez was really good. I mean, he was ACC player of the year in 2010, and uh, he he was a lot better than people thought. I really felt like that. We we go to the NCAA tournament, and we win the first game. Now we're playing Izzo in Michigan State. They got green, and, you know, they're always good, but they were pretty good. So we're out in uh, in, uh, Spokane, and... We get down 15 in the second half. We come back. Vasquez scores 10 points in the last minute and 10 seconds. They go down and hit a shot, you know, top of the circle and, you know, beat us. And I really felt bad for Vasquez because that was his last game. And while we were playing that day, we would play the winner of Kansas and Northern Iowa. And Northern Iowa beat Kansas in a complete upset. So, you know, we thought we could beat Northern Iowa if we could buy Michigan State. And uh, then we would have had to beat Tennessee to go to the Final Four. So, that's how that tournament goes, though. You know, you you never, you know, you look at brackets and you think, well, that 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 team's really good. They're going to be a problem. We have to play them. But, you know, you you got to take care of business uh, in the game you're in. That team, so. what?
1: Yeah, that team was really good, but they had the. We love Gary Buttons. I, I think your boy uh, Scott, he, had, he he had it made up because. He, he was pissed off that people didn't appreciate you or something. I walk out and everyone's wearing those damn buttons. I'm going, we're screwed. We're gonna lose my hundred.
2: Uh, yeah, that that, that was uh, that was uh, John Harbaugh was there. shot. we had the Ravens contingent for that game. <laughs> we, we, we did that special for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, and
1: the gravest masses is the greatest because I'm I'm recruiting gravest masses for four hundred years. And at that time, you and Stu Vedder were kind of at odds for a little bit. And so I'm going. Damn, we might end up with greatness. This is unbelievable. Maryland hasn't gotten involved yet. And then all of a sudden, I still remember going to Montrose Christian, like oh yeah, in, in November. And all of a sudden, I look down, and there you are with Stu, and I'm going,
2: yes.
1: damn it, two days of work, and I'm done.
2: <laughs> Stu and I became big buddies that year. <laughs> hey, you know, it was amazing. The year before, you know, we went over to recruit Durant. That's where Durant was in uh, the school, in the high school. That's, that was his, I think that was his third high school. Um, you know, he kind of drifted around a little bit. And, you know, obviously, you know, an incredible player. And that's why, so I didn't even know who Vasquez was. And I saw him, you know, a guy just, the one thing about Vasquez, he loved to play. You, you know, like coaching guys like that, that was always when I did my best coaching job because I got a little tired as time went on of trying to get guys to play hard and practice. You know, come on, we're we're playing basketball. I mean, how tough is this? You know, this this is supposed to be fun. It's a fun part of your day, and you know, that's because you never had to worry about that. He'd come in, he was like bouncing off the walls. He 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 felt so fortunate to get out of Venezuela, come to the United States, get a chance to play basketball, play in the ACC. You know, the whole thing, and he always uh, you know showed that when he played. And I, I love guys like that. And, you know, Vasquez was really criticized this first couple of years because he'd do a little shimmy if he made it three you know,
1: and <laughs> stuff like that.
2: And, like, I'm I, thank God I had coached Walt Williams a long time ago because Walt was a little crazy. In fact, he's the only guy that ever wore a headband uh, that played for me because I didn't like headbands. You know, I thought, they, they you know, what are you doing that for? You know, like, what, what's – trying to draw attention to yourself or whatever, but we got sanctions uh, from the previous coach when I got there in 89. So Walt could have transferred and played right away back then. And he was really good. Walt was, you know, a lottery pick, the whole thing. And so he came to my office and he told me uh, that spring that he wanted to wear a headband next year. And I was ready to jump all over him. So I figured, well, if he's gone, we can't beat anybody. So, Walt, I I think that's fine. You know, and uh, what type of shoes would you like to wear uh, this coming season? You know, whatever whatever it took. Sometimes you got to recruit your own players. Uh, you know, that that's just the way it goes. Yeah, the, way the, rules
1: are, the way the rules are now, you really got to recruit your players. Cause they're going to be able to, they're gonna have to transfer immediately and then just and, and yeah. be eligible
2: uh, if I'll that, tell if you that what,
1: guideline passes.
2: You, I've seen some coaches this year, they do that handshake thing at the end of games, which I think it's, that's got to go. You know, you, you know, it's okay if the two coaches shake hands. Players should get to their locker rooms after a game, but that's another thing but you know I, I saw coaches this year they were handing out their business cards to the other guys in line you know <laughs> which were going through there I mean that, that is I mean guys now and, and and I think I'm telling the truth here they have their boards where they have their recruits you know this guy's a sophomore in high school this guy's a junior different classes now they got the transfer portal group up there on oh, the board no there's no doubt.
1: Doubt. i've been I've been in offices it's it's funny i was on one office I'm not going to call the guy out but and he closed door. sitting talking ball and everything. He Was a good coach, and you know, people people really liked. And on the back of his door, this is just grad transfers. Imagine what it's going to be next. He's got a list of twenty grad transfers. I turned to the guy and said, "Hey, just a little heads up." I was kind of new to college basketball, being an NBA guy. I said, "Like, hey, let me just give you a little tidbit of information here." you might want to cover that because it, it's really, it's really probably not a good look, but you know, talking about coaching, like I, 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 the one thing I knew about you and, and, and when we were trying to prepare for you guys is like, we were in a timeout. I spent half of my timeouts trying to figure out what wrinkle you were going to do. Now, like I knew if it was a free throw situation. We were probably going to see the 55 or the two two press, right. but you kind of tweak that a little, a couple of different ways. You might go to the point drop or, The next possession, I knew we were going to see something tricky. What was the hardest? What was the like for me? I spent my timeouts just trying to plan for, especially late game, you know, last five minutes, what that next guy was going to do. You know, you, you, your your sideline antics and mine as well were a tad bit famous. Uh, What was the craziest? Like, what was going through your mind in timeout?
2: What was that? I missed that last part. I so said, what was going through your mind in the timeout? Um, the big thing was, I, you know, I, I worried about more uh, how we were going to execute uh, coming out of the timeout, whether we were on defense or offense. And, you know, it, it, what I liked about a timeout, if you were on defense, it allowed you to do something that you might not have done the rest of the game. Like we might not have played any zone. We went zone that time after a timeout um, we would do, uh, we had a sideline press, which we, you know, keeping stats. I wasn't a big stat guy, but we kept a lot of stats on our pressure defense. The sideline press was the most effective. Now, we didn't do it as much as we did full court pressure. But, you, you know, if you ever watch a game, you see the referee give the guy to a ball, give the guy to a ball on the sideline. And if we're in our uh, aggressive press with a guy on the ball on the sideline, what we're going to trap, the first thing the guy does is look down at his feet to make sure he's out of bounds because most courts, you know, they play in an ACC, they got benches, they got tables, they have players' benches. And so players are never comfortable with a guy in their face on the sideline. They can handle the underneath thing most of the time, but not on the sideline. So we won some games just by being able to get the ball back on the sideline out of bounds play when we were on defense. And, you know, I always thought that was a great press, but, you know, and I was willing to share that with other people. But not a lot of guys do that. You know, they, they don't press against the sideline, which I always thought was the best. Pass. And the thing was, teams always had pressure sets ready for our full court pressure, but they never really did anything but a straight line from the inbound guy when we were pressing on the sideline. So we would practice that every day, practice for like two, three minutes and got pretty good at it. You guys
1: are real good, unfortunately, because the water made a great game, which we spent a ton of time preparing for the sideline press. Yeah. All right, we spread ourselves out. We ran a guy all the way up the floor to stretch the back line guy. And if I'm not mistaken, you, we threw one skip pass. We were not supposed to throw the deepest pass, but we threw one short, I should say short skip pass, which you guys stole at the, at the end of that game. And that, that's one of those things that like, – in in league play, especially people got to understand. I I think you'd agree with this. You've got, there's a more level playing field. You've got to find a way to steal a basket, whether it's a free throw situation out of the time. uh, First play to half first play uh, of the game. And every possession in league play is so important offensively and defensively that, you know, we would always try like, if you ran all that flex, flex rollback action, we spent so much time preseason that, we called that just Maryland. So when we drilled Maryland, we would legitimately, that was just one of our, that was, literally was one of our shell actions that we would, from the first day of practice to when we played you, we would drill right. that every day just to, to take the duck in away. But then you, then you added a couple of wrinkles on us one year. And I, I'm not saying the wrinkle was like a back screen out of it. Uh, the rollback guy would sit a back screen and yeah. get a We
2: could get and, a uh, lob out of it. That really pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, we we were we were uh, we were always basic on offense. In other words, we ran all our man stuff was out of that same uh, inverted set where we have our point guard. A five and a four would be like a forty-five degree angle, about eighteen feet off from the block, and then two and three were on the block. And you know that 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 was we tried to run everything from the same look. Uh, and I wanted people to think that all we ran was the flex, which you know uh, when you got in league play, like you said teams would figure out that wasn't all we ran but we tried to run everything basically looking like we were going to run the flex and I I think that helped us when we had like a really good player like a Vasquez or a Juan Dixon where we could get him some individual stuff which really wasn't out of the flex but I think if unless you scouted us really well like league teams do you would think it came uh, from the flex situation
0: Guys, let me jump in because it's just great. Uh, I, I really want to get from each of you, though, as the, as the time goes by and you look back on all these games and talking about playing against one another and how tough the ACC was. If you, each of you talk about the, the memory you have right now of looking at each other on the other's bench and what you remember most Gary, I'll start with you. What you remember most about Seth, and then Seth, talk about what the memories are about Gary that are with you right now.
1: Sure.
0: Well, I, I respected uh, Seth because I knew
2: he, he earned his way there. In other words, he wasn't one of those golden boys. You see guys now, as a sister, <laughs> they, they get jobs when they're 24, they're making $250,000 a year. Well, I, I think Seth and I kind of, I was a JV coach in Camden, New Jersey. That was, that was my first job. So I always respected the coaches. And you know, you look at a guy like Shoshevsky. He he was, you know, he he was an assistant at Army, then then he was the head coach at Army, you know, and really had to build the program at Duke. So you respected that. And then, you know, you look at Roy Williams. I think he was a manager in North Carolina. I, I don't think he even played. And you know, just to just to work as hard as, you know, those people do, like, like Seth, uh, you you you're impressed with that. And then when you go play those guys, you know that they're going to play hard because that's what they did. They they worked hard to get to where they were. So I always knew if we played Virginia Tech, we'd be in for a war. You know, there, there's some teams that were really talented that you would rather play than than a team that was, you know, going to work yeah. really hard against you. You know, you, you don't want that in your face the whole time. So I always respected Seth for that. Plus... You know, got guys. You, you know, you you have to you have to coach more at some places. Virginia Tech was not going to be an easy job when Seth took the job, and you're playing against in the best conference in the country. Then I don't think there was much of an argument that the ACC was was the best conference in the country. So it's not like you're you're looking at you know your conference schedule, and all of a sudden well that that team we should be able to beat twice, and you know that type of thing. You thought every game. Was going to be a fight, and you were right, you know. And, and that's what Seth had to deal with. He had to get that program up to a point where they could compete against, you know, the best teams in the country, and he did. And and so, as a coach, when you look down the other bench, I never told him, Seth this. we were coaching against each other, but you really respected that, and I think that was that was, you know, how I looked at Seth.
1: Well, that means a lot to me. You know, it's interesting when I took over at Virginia Tech. Our goal was the blueprint that we used uh, was the Maryland blueprint. And, you know, when Garrett took over at Maryland, you got to understand they were coming off probation or on probation. Uh, They were not the Maryland of Lefty Drizel, And they surely were not the Maryland that we know of, of Garrett Williams and national championships and Juan Dixon. But, but when I looked at, I said like, how did they build their program? And, you know, they built it by, High character, tough guys, guys that played hard, guys that understood were winning players, uh, guys that brought him to the good of the group. Uh, and their mindset, especially when Gary took over because they were in a transition period and the league was the best. when I mean, the league was ridiculous back then. That was, was uh, great. You had
2: Grant Hill and those guys, they won oh, two man, straight years. Man. Carolina came in right behind him. and They won two out of three years, I think, so it was yeah, a joke.
1: It was, it, it was ridiculous then is that, uh, you know, the mindset of not being an opponent, that like, uh, you know, I, I took that from, you know, obviously when people didn't want to in, but I looked at Garrett, the way he coached his team, the one thing you knew is that they weren't going to be an opponent. If they were in there. I don't care if they were in the rebuilding stage or whatever. They were in there to compete and win. And they weren't going to back down to anyone, any player, any coach. And like my mindset was, and I watched Gary coach. You now, my, my assistant, I was bad. I wasn't as tough on my assistant as he was now during the course of a game.
2: Yeah, i was kind <laughs> of back at
1: that. <laughs> oh, my God. But, but, but he was better to his guys away from the court. And I was probably. But, but here's the deal I knew Gary's teams as I watched them, they were going to draw a line of sand every single play. And if we took a playoff, if we took a playoff, that was gonna be the play that cost us our game. And legitimately, I would sit in meetings and you know, like I knew Gary forever, Gary Cook's American University. My brother played there obviously way before that. And uh, we we went back a long way. And you know, Joe Harrington, who was a team of his, hired me at Long Beach State. So there was there was a connection for a lot of years there, but uh, they were literally I would sit in our meetings and, and, and say, right, is doing this. You know, how, how can we fit that to what we what we were doing? And then the other thing is, look, if you, you talk about the greatest coaches, you don't become a whole thing coach. You don't win a national championship, but more importantly, American university, Boston college, Ohio state, and, and Maryland, you don't win everywhere you've been unless you are really smart and really good. And can evaluate and get your guys to buy in, trust you, play hard and play for each other. So we legitimately wanted to be the Maryland, you know, Lefty wanted to be the UCLA of the East. We wanted to be the Maryland of Virginia. And that was because of what Gary did. And that's
0: 100% from uh the- well, Thank you. I Appreciate that. Guys, <clears throat> absolutely wonderful. Uh, I've sat here listening as a fan and uh, <laughs> I, I just marvel. At the stuff you guys give out and I, I really deeply appreciate it uh our guests here uh this time around Seth Greenberg and Gary Williams ACC and their memories of coaching against one another in those great years in a in a conference that uh, as Gary said there were uh, there were none really as good in those years as was the ACC and that is going to conclude another chapter of these sports rivals learn more about this and other episodes we invite you to log on to thesportsrivals.com you can join the conversation with questions and any suggestions you have for future shows you can also follow us on instagram at theseportsrivals twitter at rivals underscore podcast and on facebook by searching for theseportsrivals podcast thank you all for joining us thank you to seth and gary for just a wonderful half hour of a look back and some great college basketball. And always remember, it is the rivalries that make the games.